If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem and they went along instantly and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for that guy, the Gilanite, David's counselor from this city from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom continually increased in number. What's going on in this story? So for those of you that have not been following through with us uh, with First and Second Samuel, let me give you the quick synopsis here. Absalom is the son of David. Uh, David is the king of Israel. And so Absalom is his son, and he's going to be king eventually if he does the right things according to uh, uh, Israeli custom. But uh, what happens is, is that Absalom takes it upon himself to try to become king before it's his time to become king. And so this part of the story kind of outlines what he did. And, and what Absalom did is that he stood at the gate of the city. And, and what was happening during this time is that if people had, had an issue, they would come to the king and they would uh, want to be heard by the king and have the king issue a judgment. And so what Absalom did is that he stood at the gate and whenever anybody came, he would stop them and say, hey, the king's not available today. Why don't you let me know what's going on so that I can tell you what you should do uh, and kind of started to act like king before he was king. And what he did was he ended up turning hearts against uh, the king of Israel, King David at the time, by the actions that he took. And, and the story kind of goes through this process of turning the hearts of people towards Absalom and away from the king, David. And it goes so far to say that, okay, now this is what we're going to do. When you hear this sound, I want you to yell out that I'm king. And so the story talks about how uh, there's a few hundred men that started and it started this rebellion and revolt uh, in, in the hearts, all of because of what Absalom did. We live in an age of conspiracy, conspiracy theories, that is. <laughs> now, conspiracies have been around for a long time, and, and if you are a, a student of history, there's conspiracies about the JFK assassination, there's conspiracies about 9-11, about the Vietnam War, about the global war on terror, presidential races. And now we're living in the age of conspiracies about COVID-19. <laughs> There's conspiracies that talk about the 5G towers are causing, causing COVID and Bill Gates wants to kill everybody with his vaccine. And this came from a Chinese lab and it was created as a bioweapon. The U.S. military imported it into China. It came from GMOs. And people have a conspiracy so far to even say that COVID-19 doesn't exist. The deep state is manipulating it. It's a plot by big pharma to sell their drugs. The death rates are fake because people aren't really dying. I mean, I've heard all measure of concern. And if you're on social media, you've seen them all. And I'll tell you where, and if you don't know anything about conspiracy theories, and let me speak to you, you conspiracy theorists. Okay. And let me explain to you how conspiracy theories work. Okay. Conspiracy theories come because people feel powerless and they need a reason to explain what's going on. Right? So you take 9-11. It's scary to think that a half a dozen guys could decide to take down two huge buildings with some planes. That there was just a dozen guys that decided, that's scary to think that someone can do that. And so people come up with a plan that says, no, it's got to be something else because the real answer is too scary. 
It's, uh, you know, it's too much of a, of a scary thing to believe that one guy in a tower can take out the president with a gun. So there's got to be a conspiracy to go through it. And so with this disease, it's the same thing. Like, it's too simple to think that like diseases just kind of happen and they jump around and one can come that can kill tens of thousands of people in America. Like, it's kind of scary to think that. And so people come up with these conspiracy theories so that they can feel better about it because they want to explain unlikely events. They want to dispute mainstream politics and they use them as a coping mechanism. And so there's a lot that's going on in this day and age. And here's the reality. And I will tell you this, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, it's real. There's people from our church that have gotten sick with it. There's people from our church who've had family members that have died from it. I will say it may not be in managed well. <laughs> I will say that. That's not a conspiracy. That's just the reality that this thing is not being managed well. We are all suffering the effects of it with little to lo- no large control over it. But I'll tell you this, man, as a person of faith and just as a regular guy, we're going to get through this. We will. Uh, America and Americans have been through a lot worse than this. This is probably the biggest hiccup that we've had to deal with in my generation. Um, and so some people are thinking like, man, what's it going to be like? We'll get back to normal, man. It'll be fine. I don't know when, but we'll get there. But through it all, I want you to hold on to God. Okay. Because what you're going through right now is not a conspiracy. It's real. Uh, people are dying. We need to do what we need to do. I want things to get back to normal. Um, but it's real, man. There's no, there's no denying that. And in this story today, this story is real as well. It's not a conspiracy. We don't read into this scripture and see what Absalom is doing to David and think, you know, maybe we're misreading Absalom. Maybe, maybe this is something else that's going on in the story. That is not this situation at all. This is actually what's happening. What's actually happening is that Absalom is doing what he can do to take over Israel and he wants to be king and he's not the rightful king. And so when we read this, we cannot read it as a conspiracy. The end of this scripture in uh, verse uh, 12, it says, and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Uh, there, there's a, a conspiracy is when people conspire together to do wrong. A conspiracy theory is an idea about people conspiring to do wrong that isn't really happening. It's a theory that's not fact. A conspiracy is a real thing that's really happening. And Absalom was really conspiring against King David. Absalom wanted to take down his father, David, as king. He wants the power. He wants everyone to love and serve him. He wants to be in control. He wants to subvert David's leadership and he wants to be the king. That's not a theory. That's a fact. That's exactly what's going on inside of this story. It says in the conspiracy grew strong and the difference between a theory and an actual conspiracy is that it's clear from the public evidence that there are conspirators causing harm, and it's clear on this one, okay? It's clear that this is exactly what's happening in this scripture. Absalom wants to steal the hearts of the men, as, uh, the men of Israel. He set out to do it, and he accomplished it. 
Absalom stole the hearts of the men because his cunning campaign worked. He became more popular and more trusted than David. And what he did was wrong. Remember, whatever, whatever the Bible always describes is not what the Bible prescribes. So the Bible, and this is what one of the greatest things that shows the truthfulness of the Bible is that the Bible always shows what really happened. Uh, again, if I was a Bible writer, I would take these stories out because it makes the people of God look bad, but this really happened. This is what Absalom really did to try to throw over David. And so uh, for, for us, let, let me say this first, is that we, and, and there's a lot that we're going to get out of this message, and trust me as we walk through it, because it's kind of all over the place, but it'll all make sense at the end, okay? Um, we as Christians are supposed to lift up Jesus. That's our goal. Our, our, our goal is to lift up Jesus. The Bible says um, in John 12, 32, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. In this story, we see Absalom drawing men to himself and not drawing people to God, uh, not wanting what's best for Israel, but wanting what's best for himself. We as the people of God are supposed to lift Jesus up and draw people to Jesus and not draw people to himself. The other part of it is, is that we as Christian people, we're supposed to guard ourselves from deception. Okay. We're supposed to protect ourselves to make sure that people are not deceiving us and that people are not leading us astray. The Bible says in Romans six eighteen, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You can be simple-minded and be deceived because you're not paying attention to what people are telling you and what people are showing you. And the word of God is the means by which you keep yourself from being deceived because if the word of God says it, it's true. And you can protect yourself from people that are trying to deceive you. We have to take heed. Matthew 12, uh, excuse me, Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. That means pay attention that no one deceives you. We have to beware. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So we as Christians, it's our job to lift up Jesus, but simultaneously we have to protect ourselves to make sure that the people around us are not leading us astray, that the people that are in our sphere of influence are not leading us to them, but are, are leading us to them instead of leading us to Jesus. And, and I'll tell you as your pastor, if I'm ever trying to draw you to me and not draw you to Jesus, you should tell me and say, man, you're trying to make it about you and not about Jesus. Because my job as your pastor is to lead you to him, is to lead you to the throne, to lead you to fully submit to God. Today, what we're going to be talking about is the spirit of Absalom. That's, that's what we're talking about today is the spirit of Absalom. Now, when we talk about the spirit of Absalom, I want you to understand this, is that uh, with the people that are in those charismatic Pentecostal circles, sometimes they, they, they always talk about everything being a spirit, right? And, and so they, they always see it in this tangible spirit self, uh, spirit sense. It's like that, that old joke, if you guys, uh, the, the, uh, the light bulb jokes, right? Like how many, light, how many uh, Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10, right? One to do it, nine to plan the potluck for afterwards, right? And then uh, the, the Pentecostal one is how many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes three, one to do it and two to pray over the spirit of darkness, right? And so <laughs> everything is not a spirit, okay? So when I'm talking about the spirit of Absalom, I'm not talking about it as this like this, you open up the door and the spirit of Absalom comes in and, and attaches itself to a person. What I'm saying is that when someone acts in this way, they're acting in the spirit 
of Absalom. And so it's an Absalom spirit. It's like the same when people talk about a Jezebel spirit. The spirit of Absalom does not roam around the earth and look to attach itself to somebody. But the devil will, will use whatever he needs necessary to try to change things within people's lives. And so we talk about the Absalom spirit as something that somebody is operating in, but it's separate from like a, a spiritual entity that comes upon. This would be the moment in the service I say, does this make sense? Does this make sense? Okay, it makes sense. The handful of people here say it makes sense. Okay. Now, here's the point of the, here's the, point of the sermon is that you want to not be an Absalom, okay? You do not want to be an Absalom. The other part of it is, is that you do not want to fall prey to the spirit of Absalom. So you have to protect yourself from the spirit of Absalom while simultaneously checking your own heart to make sure that you are not becoming an Absalom, okay? So here, here's, here's what I, that's what I want you to think about today as we're walking through this. Where's the spirit of Absalom in my heart? And how can I protect myself from not being sucked into the depravity of the Absalom spirit? Because the Absalom spirit is not just in the church. It's in family relationships. The Absalom spirit shows up in work relationships. It it shows up in, in friend groups. The Absalom spirit will rear its ugly head all over the place and you do not want to uh, uh, fall prey to it. You see it when kids turn on kids and parents working against each other because that even happens that the Absalom spirit will work where one parent will try to turn the, uh, uh, the kids against the other parent. Um, it'll, it'll happen in a workplace where people try to turn everybody at work against the boss. Um, and, and sadly, it happens in the church at well, as well when people try to turn people against the church, turn people against the pastor, or turn people just against other leaders. So there's little things that happen. I mean, you can have like a big organization where they're trying to turn against the main leader, but you can even have the second shift assistant supervisor, and there can be an Absalom spirit that comes against the second shift uh, assistant supervisor who has a, a, a place of influence, and the people that are there want to turn against that person. And so when I say the spirit of Absalom, remember, it's not some demonic force sense. It's just giving this mindset a name, okay? You know it when you see it. And for some of you that are listening today, you, as I'm walking through this, you're like, oh my gosh, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, now I've got a name to it. And so now that you've got a name to it, you can recognize it when it happens. But in your heart, I want you to recognize it in your own heart so you don't fall prey to that Absalom spirit. This spirit is divisive. It always caused division. It's controlling. It's a self-worshiping spirit that desires satisfaction of the flesh, destruction of God's holy order, self-rule, and self-promotion. That's what we see happening right now in this story with Absalom and David. Uh, Absalom wants to be king. I mean, this, and this is where it's so disgusting. It would almost be understandable if it was some random dude, but this is his own son turning against his father because he desperately wants to be in charge. He wants people to like him and not like his dad. He wants people to follow him and not follow his dad. And so he creates the division and it's self-seeking. It's not even to the benefit of Israel that he's doing this. It's for the benefit of himself. Because if it had been for the benefit of Israel, he would have pushed people towards his dad and said, you know what? My father is the leader of Israel. My father is the rightful king. I watched my own father uh, live his life righteously. I mean, going back to 1 Samuel, the way that David... David 
David did not take over uh, the, the kingship from Saul when he should have based on his actions because he wanted to, uh, to, to do the right thing. And this is why in the Bible, and people will say these Christian words, you have Saul, David, and then Absalom, and that's the reign and how it goes. Saul was trying to kill David, who was the rightful king, and so we call that the spirit of Saul. And then we have the rightful David, and then the spirit of Absalom that comes and wants to take it over. And so David is kind of sandwiched between these two evil spirits, the spirit of Saul and the spirit of Absalom, where God is saying, you know what, when there's a rightful king, you don't want to have the spirit of Saul that tries to kill the rightful king, or the spirit of Absalom that wants to take over the rightful king at the same time. It's a selfish spirit and mindset because it focuses on the self more than it focuses on what God wants and what God desires. This Absalom spirit, they seek their own. And when you seek your own, you are going against what the Bible teaches because the Bible does not teach self-seeking. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And that's, that's inside and outside the church. As Christians, that's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to seek the good of other people, not the good of ourselves. They don't seek after God. That's, that's the other part of this Absalom spirit. And as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to seek after God. That's, that's what our whole entire life is consumed with, is seeking after the things of God. It says in Philippians 2.21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 13.5, it says that love is not self-seeking. And that's the essence of the Absalom spirit is the Absalom spirit is self-seeking. It wants recognition. It wants power. It wants influence. It wants to be the one in charge. And here's what you have to understand about this Absalom spirit is it's attractive. It looks good. It really does. Uh, And and when I say that, it's not to say that the Absalom spirit comes from attractive people. I'm saying that the Absalom spirit is attractive because it pulls at the heartstrings of the sinful fleshly nature of humans. And so when the Absalom spirit rears its ugly head in an organization, it comes in. And what happens is, is that the the, the Absalom spirit will come in and it'll entice other people's uh, uh, self-seeking, self-righteous, self-motivated hearts and pull them into it. Because inside of our hearts, we we all want influence and we all want power and we all want to be king. And so what happens is, is that the spirit comes in through someone and it can be on a man or a woman. It, it doesn't matter. And, and that person kind of begins to entice that, the, the people around them. It looks attractive. And you, you're drawn to it because you think this idea of like, oh man, I'll be drawn up with them. And, and if Absalom's going to have power, I'll have power with Absalom. And, and if Absalom's going to do this, I'll go with Absalom. And then I'll be a part of this next thing that's going to happen. It makes you feel desired because Absalom needs to recruit people to his evil. And so he's going to make you feel loved, make you feel wanted so that you would go along with them. And you're drawn to that person and whoever has it, they make it look good. And they offer those lusts of the flesh. Like, man, come with me and I'll give you power. Come with me and I'll give you influence. Come with me and I'll give you the desires of your flesh. I mean, remember this, Absalom was good looking. It said in 2 Samuel 14, now in all Israel, there was no one as much who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. 
And, and Absalom's good looks were evident everywhere he looked, and he used them to his advantage. Now watch what happens inside of this. It says in uh, uh, um, 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, after this had happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And this is a, a vision I see of like uh, the Aladdin movie when Prince Ali, 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 Abad, wherever it goes, right? He, all the procession going before him because it's a show of force. And just like Aladdin, he's a, he's a false uh, leader. It's just a show to make it seem like he's a king when he's not a king. And the same thing Absalom does is that he's, he puts chariots and horses in front of him and he's only got 50 of them, but it gives this appearance of, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm showing out. It's a show of force. That's what the spirit does. It tries to make it seem like, you know, they're more important than they are. Hey, I'm friends with the boss. Don't worry. You know, me and him, we, uh, we hang out outside of work. You uh, look at me. We're, we're really good friends. It's not to say all good looking people are evil, but it's to say that it was to his advantage and it was attractive. This is what the manipulative spirit does. It's, it's why think about this in all of those teenage angst movies, right? That you watch the ones, the coming of age movies with 30 year old people that are depicting high schoolers. The evil kid is always the good looking one because the evil kid looks good and can pull the other people aside. And, and they always depict this in the movies that that person has the, 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 the right appearance and they have the right car. They live in the right house because the, the, the deceptive evil spirit looks good to the heart. And even in those movies, the, the, that Absalom spirit, you'll never watch these movies again. It, it says to those people, do these evil deeds with me and I'll give you a seat at the lunch table. Do these evil deeds with me and I won't pick on you. Do these evil deeds with me and you'll be in the cool kids club. All you have to do is all the evil that I'm asking you to do. But looks can be deceiving. <laughs> They aren't the end all be all of a person at all. The heart matters. First Samuel 16, seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as a man sees for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's what we're getting at is that the heart appearance of a, uh, of an Absalom spirit, it looks attractive on the outside, but you have to look at the fruit Outward appearances do not equal inner holiness. You have to look for fruit. And, and, I, and, and I, I can't say this uh, too much because outwardly people will, will try to have a certain disposition that will make you think that there's something that they're not, but it does not equal fruit. You have to look for it. You have to look for the fruit in people's lives because people, people can show that they've got things together for a certain amount of time, but over time, they just cannot keep those things together. It's like, it's like people that only clean up their house because people are coming over and they want people to think that they live in a clean house when the reality is they're only cleaning up because people are coming over and they live in filth. Let me say this as a side note. If your house is not clean during this quarantine, it's not because you don't have time. It's because you're a dirty person. Just give it over. Just quit, quit lying about you not cleaning your house because you don't have time. Just admit that you are a messy, dirty person that lives in filth. Side note, all right? 
These are people of 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The Bible says from such people to turn away. I'll tell you this, you should not trust a pastor who doesn't have a good marriage and whose kids do not follow the Lord. And, and, I, and, I, and I can say that because, I, and people say, well, that's easy for you to say you have a good marriage and good kids. Yeah, I do. And I've worked at it over the last 20 years. But, but it's the fruit of a life. If, if, if my, my goal is to have a good marriage with my wife and lead my kids to Christ, and I've had my kids for 20 years under all of my control, and I can't even lead them to Christ, how can I be trusted to lead God's church? If my wife doesn't submit to my leadership and she doesn't love me, how can I expect that I can be trusted with God's church? That's why the Bible says, if a man can't manage his own house, how can he manage the household of God? And so when you look at people's lives and there's no fruit, there's a reason to say, well, look at the fruit in their life, man. Look at the fruit. 1 Timothy 3, 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? The Bible equates fruit with influence. Bad or absent fruit, they shouldn't have influence. That's what the Bible says. And so the Absalom spirit, you can look at, at that person and say, well, they're saying these things and they're doing these things, but the fruit of their life doesn't match up with what they're saying and what they're doing. That's an indication that you should not fall prey to this Absalom spirit. Because if you peel back the onions of the Absalom spirit's heart is that there's usually destruction in other areas of their life. If they're turning on uh, uh, wherever they're at within the midst of where you're at, they probably did this at their previous job, or they probably did this in their previous relationships, or they probably have done this in their previous friendships. Absalom worked hard at it, man. He wasn't lazy about what he did. It says in verse two that Absalom would rise early in the morning and stand by the way to the gate. He was, he was diligent about what he did. And this is the thing about the Absalom spirit is that it's not a lazy spirit. It's not something that you look at and you think like, oh man, like this person, he's a, they're a go-getter. Look at how hard they're working. Yeah, that's what Absalom does, man. He's not lazy. It's hard work to be a manipulator. You can't take a day off from it. You've got to work at it. It's because he wanted to be in the best position possible to have influence. It said that he was beside his way by the gate. So Absalom would get up early so he could be by the gate before anybody else would be there. So he could stand and receive people as they were going to try to get to the rightful king just so that he could get in to their heads. See, the Absalom spirit maneuvers. The Absalom spirit will try to look good, position itself and have influence, but it works even harder to orchestrate the situation to get its desired end. See, the Absalom's desired end is that he would be king, that he would have influence, that he would be the person that would make all of the decisions. And so he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to get that control because he wanted to have control over the rightful leader who is David. <laughs> and David's not going to give it up because he's king. And so Absalom's got to maneuver and do whatever he could do. He could have. Now, here's the worst part about it is that Absalom could have just waited and become the rightful king because he was the rightful king. But because of his selfish, disgusting heart, he did whatever he could to try to turn David's kingdom towards him. So what was his ploy? Watch this, man. Watch this. He pays attention to the disgruntled. 
The word says anyone who had a lawsuit. So someone's coming to the gate and they already have a disgruntled spirit. The Absalom spirit stands there and goes, hey, this person's already disgruntled. Now I've got a way into them to turn their hearts against David. He sought out the troubled. Absalom would call to him. Hey, hey, I see you have a lawsuit. Come here, come here. I'll help you. I'll, I'll be the person that's going to be the one to help you. And, and he would redirect people's issues. The people were coming towards to get uh, an answer from the king. And it was the moment where Absalom was like, hey, I know you're disgruntled. I know you're upset. I know you're coming to the king. But here, here, come along with me. I, I've got something that I can help you with. Master manipulated. Master manipulation. I mean, these people want to be heard. And so you can imagine just the picture of these people come wanting to be heard by King David. His son standing there looking pretty, looking handsome, manipulating and saying, do you want, here, just come along with me. Come on, come on, friend. Come along with me. You don't, you don't need to go to the king. I'll, I'll bring you right over here to the side and I'll be your king. I'll be the one that's going to help you. He grabs them before they can get to the king so that he can uh, redirect them. He even goes so far as to fake personal interest in the trouble. Hey, what city are you from? Huh? Hey, let's get to know each other. Let's be buddies. He acts like he has sympathy. Oh, this is a good case that you have. Your case is good and right. And then they go after the leader. But but he's already turned them. He's already brought them to his side before he goes after David. It's not like one day he stands up and goes, hey, make me king. No, no, no. He's worked very hard, got up early, grabbed their attention, redirected their their thoughts. See, he he doesn't attack David directly. He introduces lies and doesn't offer relief. He says, you know what? There's there's no deputy of the king to hear you today. He he doesn't even speak bad against David at all. He doesn't doesn't say anything bad, but he does introduce doubt because he promises he could do better. Oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. He was a flatterer. So that's the intro. You guys ready for the sermon? (laughs) Here's the sermon. (laughs) For those of you that are just watching, that's the big joke at Faith Bigger. This isn't the introduction. We're rounding the corner. Stick with me. Don't give up. This is the best part. This is how you keep from being an Absalom, okay? This is how you keep from being an Absalom. You keep from being an Absalom by being honest with yourself about your desires. You got to be honest about your real desires. And and for us, the, the greatest sins of our lives are the sins of our heart, it's jealousy, it's envy, it's selfish ambition. You know, people always say that, you know, it's murder and adultery and all these other things, but those are easy to see. It's hard to see jealousy, sin, and self-ambition. And so we have to work very hard to fight against those things. We watch for selfish ambition. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We've got to watch for demonic influence. Let me show you this. In James uh, chapter 3, it's in here. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Right? So what is sensual and demonic? Self-seeking in your hearts right? 
Verse 16, for wherever envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So when you've got self-seeking, evil is going to, to be there. And so you have to do whatever you have to do to check your own hearts to make sure that you're not falling prey to demonic influence that wants selfish ambition. And here's how you do it. You need to ask yourself, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And, and it's an exercise, man. It's an exercise to keep your heart pure, but it's possible with prayer and honesty. I shared with you guys last week, one of the things that God's been working in my heart is why am I doing what I'm doing as a pastor? And, and, and it's not to say that my heart is evil as much as I just have to face the reality when I'm, when I'm preaching to an empty room, why am I preaching? Is it for the praise of man? Is it for the accolades? Or is it because God has called me to be a preacher? I always said that, uh, and I've been saying it for years, we'll shut the, we'll shut the church down when there's nobody left. Well, there's, you know, half a dozen people here this morning. So we ain't shutting the church down yet. Amen. I'll just keep doing it until we're able to get together. But those are those things you always have to be asking yourself in your heart of like, why am I doing this? Like in a work situation, when someone shoots down your idea, do you fight for your idea just because you want to have your idea be there? Is it just a selfish thing? I mean, sometimes your ideas get shot down because they are no good. They're garbage. <laughs> I mean, I've had ideas that I've put before our team at the church and and, and everybody looks at me like, no, like, what do you think? I'm like, come on, I'm the leader. This is a great idea. And they're like, no. So I don't let it go forward. But at the same time, like, you've got to have that mindset of just like, why do I really want this? Is it just because of my pride? God will show you your heart through his word or another person if need be. You've got to accept correction. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves instruction, loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. You've got to stay submitted, Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's lots of scriptures about submission to God and authorities and leaders in each other. And it's one of the hardest things for us to do as humans because all of us want to be our own leader. We, want to, we don't want to be submitted to anybody. And so we have to submit to God's will to quit from being an Absalom. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Even Jesus himself followed the will of the father. So we need to follow the will of the father and not succumb to that Absalom spirit. Now, some of you would say, as you're watching the sermon, you'd say, you want pastor? I I have never been an Absalom and I would never submit to that Absalom spirit. But this is what I will leave you with today. And this is my challenge for you. We've been talking about the Absalom spirit as it, as it comes into regard to personal relationships. But here's the challenge that I want you to think about. When we don't submit to the rightful kingship of King Jesus in our lives, we fall prey to that Absalom spirit. And it's very easy organizationally to look at it and say, well, Absalom spirit, but you and I fall prey to the Absalom spirit when we refuse to submit to King Jesus, when we refuse to make him our king, when we refuse to say, I am going to, I am going to submit to your rule. I'm going to submit to your place in my life. We fall into that Absalom spirit because he's the ultimate king. He's the ultimate ruler. And we have no right to take control over our lives. He has every right to take control over our lives. When we want to rule our own lives and we don't want to submit to the rightful king, King Jesus, we are that Absalom spirit. 
We don't want to let him work the way that we want him to work. We don't want him to do things the way that he wants to do them. So we come in with that Absalom spirit and we try to take control and we try to make things go the way that we want them to go. And we redirect people to ourselves and we draw people to ourselves instead of drawing people to the king. And we say, we're going to rule our own lives and we're going to make decisions that serve ourselves. And we tell people that they don't have to submit to God and they don't have to follow God because we want control. We want to be kings of our own lives. And that's truly the, 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 the dirtiest thing about the Absalom spirit. And so today I want to encourage you to not be an Absalom. Don't try to take the throne. Submit to God. Submit to King Jesus. Submit to his kingship, his power, his plan. We think we can run our lives better, but we can't. God can, so we must work towards that end. Today, I want to leave you with submitting and committing to the true king, King Jesus. Now, before we close in prayer, I want to ask you this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to become one right now, wherever you may be. The Bible says that you must turn away from sin and turn towards God. And if you've never made that decision before, wherever you are right now, I want you to get on your knees before God and say, God, forgive me of my sin and help me to live for you. And I want you to turn away from all those sins that you've been committing and live towards God. I want you to read your Bible, find a Bible-believing church. You can come join with us as soon as we get together and live for Jesus. Not a superstitious get-out-of-jail-free card, but a life-directional change that's going to live for Jesus. If you made that decision for the first time today, I want you to send us an email or a message on social media. Uh, we'd love to help you get to know Jesus more. Let's, uh, let's close this message today in prayer. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you today for this message, God. Father, we pray that we would not have an Absalom spirit within us. Father, that we would not uh, submit to any Absalom spirits that come around us, God, because we only want to submit to you. We only want to submit to your lordship and your kingship in our lives. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching today, for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you like, share, subscribe, and all those other things. We're down here at the church. We'll be here for 45 minutes. If you want a loaf of bread, come down. We'd love to see you. Love you guys. Have a good Sunday. Bye. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.